Alright. Can everybody see me, hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Man, I feel very better than ever. We should do this all the time. <laughs> Alright. Well, if you have your worship guide. Our passage for today is in John four. Don't have to go so loud. But you can. I have two volumes, mumbling quietly or really loud. All right, uh, we are in. We we made it to John four, and we're going to spend a few weeks in John four, uh, specifically a few weeks in this famous story of Jesus uh, in Samaria with the woman at the well. So today we're just going to kind of intro this story, and I want to show you one thing. Um, But since we're going to spend a few weeks here, let's read the whole passage. It's 42 verses. It takes a minute. So if you have your worship guide or your Bible, John 4, and let's stand together. And if you can't hear me or I get too loud, you you can tell me. Okay. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? The Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is to ask you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, 
Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are... Oh, excuse me. For they are the kind of worshipers... Oh, my gosh. They are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed two days. Because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for this time together. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. So we're going to spend a few weeks studying this story in John chapter 4, this famous story of Jesus and the woman at the well in her town and his disciples figuring out what all that's about. And in order to really soak it all in and really get it, it's important for us to wrap our minds around who the Samaritans are. Who are these people? What does it mean that Jesus had to go through Samaria? What does it mean that it's not just a woman at the well, it's a Samaritan woman at the well? What's that all about? Well, in the ancient Near East, first century Jewish mind, there were only three types of people in the world. 
So first century Jew, the whole planet consisted of only three types of people. The first type of people would be the Jews, the elect people of God. That was what God was doing in the world, and that was who God was doing it with. They were outwardly identifiable. We see that in the story. The woman knows Jesus is a Jew before he ever speaks. Just like today, if you go to Orthodox Jewish communities, many times you could see this, there's a cultural appearance. They had practices and laws which separated them from the rest of society. We know the Jews. We learn about them every Sunday. That was the first kind of people in the world. The second kind of people in the world, to the first century Jewish mind, would be Gentiles. Who are Gentiles? Well, they're not Jews. It's the nations. It's the other peoples. In fact, when the New Testament talks about the Gentiles, very often the Greek word that is used there is the word ethne, which is the word we get for, we get our word ethnic, ethnic groups from. These are the people groups that inhabit the world. It would be the Romans, the Greeks, the Egyptians, the Ethiopians, the Syrians, the Babylonians. In the first century Jewish mind, these were the outsiders. It was everyone else. There were insiders, the Jews, and there were outsiders, the Gentiles. But then there was this third people group that was neither insider nor outsider, the Samaritans. The Samaritans were in-betweeners. They weren't really Jews, but they weren't really Gentiles. And in the first century Jewish mind, there wasn't really a place for Samaritans. They used the, the Scriptures, they used the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. They considered that story, the story of creation, of God pulling a people together, of God taking a people out of Egypt, moving them into the land. They thought of that story as their own. But they didn't use the rest of the scriptures. They threw out the writings and the prophets. In the first century Jewish mind, that was an abomination. Just like to us today, with other groups who might use parts of the Bible, but not the whole Bible, that can be uncomfortable. There's a famous story about Thomas Jefferson taking a pair of scissors and cutting out everything in his Bible that smacked of a supernatural world. Thomas Jefferson was a diehard naturalist. He was a deist. There's no supernatural. And what he ended up with is a document we call Jefferson's Bible. And many of us view that as a kind of abomination. It's a halfway faith. It's not enough. And to many, that's even worse than no faith at all. This is how the Samaritans were viewed. It was a borderline, fence-riding, in some people's eyes, abomination, in between strange people groups. So where did they come from? Well, we read the story earlier in the service from Second Kings about the origins of the Samaritan people. 
We talk very often about the Babylonian exile. And the Judeans and the Jerusalem Jews were exiled to Babylon. After many, many years of resisting God's call to repentance and faith, God lifted his protection. And King Nebuchadnezzar came and invaded Jerusalem and carried the people off to Babylon. Remember that story? After about 70 years, most of them came back and they rebuilt Jerusalem. We have that story in our minds. But did you know there was another exile? There was another exile for the people of Israel, one that's lesser known. It was the northern, non-Judean Jews who lived in a region called Samaria. In the same way, after many years, many generations of resisting God's call to put away their idols and worship Him alone, God lifted His protection away from them but this time it wasn't the Babylonian king it was much earlier it was the king of Assyria who invaded he ransacked the towns and the villages he gathered up the people and he shipped them off to Assyria but these people this Israelite exile they never came back they were replaced The king of Assyria took people from all over his kingdom, Babylonians, people from all over, a bunch of nations that we don't pronounce very well and that we've even forgotten. And they moved in and took the Israelites' land and their homes, and they lived there and called it their own. After a while, they learned the hard way that if they were going to live in Samaria, they needed to worship the God of the land. So they adopted Yahweh as one of their gods. They added him to their pantheon of God. They hired a priest to teach them what to do. And they considered themselves part of the new Israelites. But the Judeans who had been in the land for longer, even though they themselves were worshiping idols, they saw them as imposters. Our story is about Jesus and his disciples going through Samaria. We've learned about how Jesus is, uh, by birth, Judean, but by culture and by community is Galilean. There were two main regions where Jews lived in what we would call the Holy Land today during this time. The first was Judea. It was where Jerusalem was, and it's where John the Baptist was baptizing. It's in the south. And then there's this other area in the north called Galilee. That's where Nazareth is, Capernaum is. That's where Jesus grew up. That's where most of the disciples were from. But in between these two regions is the land of Samaria. And in order for Galilean Jews to travel down to Jerusalem to worship during the festivals, like we read about in John 3, Samaria is in between. In order for Judean Jews to go visit relatives and friends in Galilee, Samaria is in between. Now, most of the time when Jews traveled back and forth, they didn't go through Samaria. That would make the most geographic sense. Just like if we were all going to pack up and travel down to Eugene, we'd probably drive through Corvallis because it's in the middle. But most Jews at this time actually went around Samaria. They didn't want to deal with Samaritans. They didn't want to recognize the presence of the Samaritans. There was great tension 
that had lasted for hundreds of years between Jews and Samaritans. We see this. Jesus approaches the Samaritan woman. He asks for a drink. And what does she say? How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Now, one piece of that is that he was a Jewish rabbi and she was a woman. And that usually didn't happen. And we'll get to that probably next week. But she doesn't just say, how can you, a Jewish rabbi, ask me a woman for a drink? She says, ask me a Samaritan woman for a drink. Jews and Samaritans didn't share things. Some of us might be old enough. Most of us not. We just heard the stories and saw the pictures of a time in the United States when segregation between black folks and white folks was legal on the books, law, and policy. We've seen the pictures of the water fountains labeled colored only. That's our people's history. Well, here, in this time and place, it was not that different. How could you ask me for a drink from this well? They were segregated. Now, this was not a new thing. It had been like that for hundreds of years. In fact, there's a story in Ezra chapter 4. When those Judean exiles returned from Babylon, and with Ezra and with Nehemiah, they were rebuilding Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple, there was a group of Samaritans that traveled over, they went up the mountain to Jerusalem, they went up to the party and they said, hey guys, we worship the same God you do. Can we help build the temple? Welcome home. Can we help you? And the Judeans said, You have no part in us. You have no part in Israel. No way. Get out of here. How did the Samaritans respond? Well, when there's segregation, it often leads to a lack of understanding. Lack of understanding leads to fear. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to violence. Just like we see here in America. The Samaritans said, okay, we won't help. Did they go home? No. They stuck around and made every effort to sabotage the temple building effort. They turned to violence. And ever since that time, there had been violence, segregation, prejudice, and avoidance. This story of Jesus going through Samaria might, to our ears, those of us who may have grown up in church and heard stories about the Good Samaritan from Luke chapter 10, heard stories about Jesus and the woman at the well, we just think of this as a nice place. Maybe there was some weird stuff going on. we got to take our imaginations and go back to that place. What Jesus was doing, going through Samaria, was radical. That's why his disciples came back and they were buying food and they were totally confused. Now what's interesting about this story is it doesn't just say that Jesus decided to go through Samaria. It says at the beginning that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to. In fact, if we read this in the Greek, we would see that that, when it says, what verse is that? Is it verse 4? Jesus had to go through Samaria. In fact, let's see. Yeah, verse 4. In the Greek, the first word in that sentence is the word had to. 
in the Greek, that's to emphasize it. If we were first Koine Greek readers, we would read it like this. Uh, Absolutely, he had to. There was no question. Jesus insisted he had to go through Samaria with his disciples. It was emphatic. Now, why was that? Why didn't he just go around? Why didn't he take the highway that most Jews took? Well, remember how we spent the first ten weeks in John's Gospel learning about Jesus and his Maybe how John introduces us to him uh, as the Word of the Father. He's the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, and he's the Word of the Father. And just like words come out from us, come out from our bodies, come out from our minds, in order to express ourselves and to accomplish our purposes, Jesus, this eternal Son, goes out from God the Father expressing God the Father's will, accomplishing God the Father's purposes, right? Right now, I'm speaking to you with words. Why? Because I have a purpose for you, which is to teach you the Bible and lead you in worship. And my words go out to accomplish these purposes. Well, Jesus is the Word of God. And He goes out from the Father to accomplish the Father's purposes. He's also the Spirit-anointed man. Remember, we learned from John the Baptist that's who He is. So he is anointed by the Holy Spirit to be prophet, priest, and king for the whole world. So if Jesus is tasked to do anything, if Jesus is being sent anywhere, it's because the Father and the Spirit are sending him. Now, we'll get more into this when we get to John chapter 5, but I want to be clear here in this moment, because this is somewhere we often we sometimes get confused. Jesus wasn't taking orders from the Father and the Spirit. No. We know in His divinity, He's the Son. He shares one single essence with the Father and the Spirit. They all have the same will. So He's enacting God's will. He's doing what Father, Son, and Spirit all together wish to be done in the world. But, He's incarnate. He's not just God. He's one of us. And as one of us, He fulfills God's law. In the famous 5th century Athanasian Creed, it talks about how Jesus is equal to the Father and the Spirit in His divinity, yet in His humanity submits to them. And we see that happening here in this passage. Jesus has to go to Samaria because Samaria is on God's list. And he has to go through Samaria because as God's human in the world, he sees Samaria as a place that God is sending him. For Jesus, even though there's been generations of segregation, of misunderstanding, of fear, of violence, of so-called abomination for God's man and for God. He doesn't recognize those things. He's going in. So Jesus has to go through Samaria. Now what, what does he find there? What's in Samaria? Who's in Samaria? Why is it such a big deal to him? Well, there's a woman. 
a woman at a well. He's got an appointment to meet her. And there's a whole town of people. In other words, what's in Samaria? A group of people that his disciples are used to avoiding at all costs. A group of people that his people, the Jews, have written off and ignored. But he's going in. Jesus describes the people of Samaria, the people of this town, Sychar. He describes them to his disciples as fields that are ripe for harvest. He says, look around. Fields are ripe for harvest. You guys say that one person plows, another person plants, another person reaps. Well, I'll tell you what, others have already plowed and planted, and now it's your turn to reap. Look around. Very often in the gospel, Jesus uses farming metaphors in order to describe uh, the ministry of sharing the good news. And harvesting is a metaphor for people being born again, people being born into new life, born from above, like we learned about in John 3. So when Jesus tells his disciples, look at the fields of Samaria, he's saying, look at the people coming out of this town. He says they're ready to be born again. All you've got to do is go. Tell them about me. They're ready. Others have already planted. Others have already plowed. Come with me. Let's harvest. Now, and this is the real kicker in this whole thing. If the people of God have been avoiding Samaritans for hundreds of years, if the people of God had hated Samaritans for generations, who's the one who's done all this plowing and sowing, metaphorically? Who are these others who have prepared the heart of the Samaritan people, these in-betweeners, these outsiders, these don't-believe-the-whole-Bible people, these abomination people, who prepared them to receive Jesus as their Messiah? Who are these others? Well, who are the ones that sent Jesus into Samaria in the first place? The Father and the Spirit did. Jesus tells the woman that the Father is actively seeking out worshipers to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And he's looking for these folks in Samaria. When Jesus says the Father is looking for worshipers to worship in spirit and in truth, there's a little Trinitarian Easter egg there. People to worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. In John's Gospel, Jesus is identified as the truth. He's the Word. Here's the point. Here's a group of people living right next to the people of God, that the people of God had grown used to avoiding, fearing, hating, and working around. Yet God himself had set up a work site in that community years ago and had been working like a farmer, father, son, and spirit together to soften the hearts of these halfway covenant in between abominable religious belief people that the people of God hated. 
So Jesus tells his disciples, come on, you want to follow me? We're going through Samaria. And when they get there, what happens? We see Samaritans coming running out of their city. At the testimony of a woman with a questionable reputation, her testimony wouldn't even hold up in court. And Jesus sends her back to the town. She says, come meet the man who's told me everything I ever did. And the whole place comes alive in repentance and faith. This story, and we'll be in it for a few weeks, but right here at the beginning, before we even get into the dynamics of Jesus' conversation with the woman, before we even get into the theology of what it means that he is the one who gives living water, before we get into any of it, we need to decide together as a church whether or not we are going to be the kind of disciples who follow Jesus into Samaria or who just want to go around. There are Samaritans all around us. Each one of us has a Samaria in our own life. Who are the people that you have grown used to avoiding? Who are the communities that you have grown used to ignoring and going around? Is there anyone in your life that has kind of a halfway, half-hearted, maybe Christian faith that you find offensive? They say they believe the Bible, but you think they've thrown out most of it. Maybe they say they believe in Jesus, but they don't like the church. Well, obviously they're not reading their Bible. Maybe they say they want to believe in Jesus, but they have a different sexual ethic than you. A different political view than you. A different worldview than you. Maybe you find their lifestyle offensive. Maybe it's a community of people from a different race. And you don't think of yourself as a racist. But man, you do not understand their culture. And you wish they would just drop the whole thing and act right. Maybe it's the people who are always talking about racism when you don't see it around you. And you're so tired of all this liberal jargon. Look around. These are the Samaritans in your life. People who don't share your values. The halfwayers, the in-betweeners. It's easy for us to celebrate sending a missionary to the nation. But how hard is it to cross the backyard to speak across the fence with a Samaritan neighbor? To pick up the phone and call a family member that we'd rather not talk to. Folks, each of us have Samaritans in our own life. Those are the places God is working. The fields are ripe for harvest. You know, Jesus didn't just go through Samaria with his disciples. Jesus went to the cross for Samaria. And you know what? Jesus went to the cross for you. His cross breaks down the dividing wall of hostility between people groups, between family members, between denominations between cultural groups. 
So what kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be a follow Jesus into Samaria church? Or are we going to go around? Well, I think that depends on whether or not we want him in our life. Because he's the Lord of Samaria. Let's pray.